everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploited cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and Johnny, as always, is my doppelganger, Kangabaga from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, motherfucking goddamn lickers. And the slickest of all the Knicks, Mr. Slick Nick. Welcome back, everybody. Today we have the finale of season four, and a doozy of one at that. But first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? Well, 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 like I say every week, Mr. Bowser, it all goes well in my neck of the motherfucking goddamn woods. Uh, what did I get up to this week? Worked. Pretty much. Just fucking worked. Oh, I celebrated my 31st birthday fucking uh, Sunday. It's just gone, so... Yeah, another day of getting uh, more chisel on my tombstone, that's for goddamn sure. Um, Mr. Bowser was able to surprise me that later that night with a uh, fantastic birthday present from the one, the only uh, Vinegar Syndrome. It was a lovely little voucher, so thank you kindly there, Mr. Bowser. I'm saving it um, for a very, very, I guess what I could say, fantastic film in the upcoming future. Just waiting for the May releases. Um, so, yeah, just very Keen to uh, talk about this episode today. I'll, the love I have for this film is fucking absolutely endless. Looking forward to it. Yeah, over to you, Slick Nick. How was your week, mate? Not bad at all. Um, I decided to actually be productive and do some spring cleaning and stuff this week. Uh, threw out my back doing it like an idiot, so I was out of commission all of Wednesday. <laughs> um, and other than doing lame stuff like going and declaring my taxes in person, which took hours and is horrible and I don't recommend it, um, I bought a new vinyl. Um started recollecting those again as well um because i found buy? out that mine i bought the album hear you by the band toe which is very good and i didn't have to import this one from japan because <laughs> they actually have a u.s label now which kept it under 20 bucks which was super nice uh so i have all three of their studio albums now and yeah. yeah hell yeah busted out the uh replacement needles for the record player as well except i need to put some speakers on it because that thing's built in ones suck um other than that Watched this movie, and that was really about it. Hasn't been super eventful, just a couple of things. TJ, what'd you get up to? I actually did a lot this week, including, but not limited to, worked on the comic book with Mr. Cameron Lee of the Beetle Fucks. I did some podcast editing for a couple projects here and there. I might be working on a new intro for season five, but stay tuned for that. It's gonna be fucking awesome. I got The Crow Flesh and Blood in. That is a three-issue run that came out around the time that they uh, were promoting City of Angels. Yeah, pretty excited to read that. It is a female crow, and I believe she loses a baby. Aside from that extremely depressing story, watched a lot of films, but what I'm most excited for is to talk about this week's film, and this week's film is Scanner Cop 2 The Showdown from 1995. Scanning the streets of Los Angeles, a killer is loose. Yes! Who is this guy? Carl Vulcan. He's a scanner. Only one man can stop him. A cop just like him. What the hell does he want? He wants me. Vulcan is gaining strength from the scanners he's killing. You're going to give me all the strength and power I need. Denise, what the... He's sucking the life force out of the scanners he's killing for power? Ah! Maybe more powerful than you at this point. Yes! 
I'm waiting for you, Scanner Cop! Daniel Quinn. Up against the wall. Patrick Kilpatrick. I need more. Terror is a state of mind. Now I'm going to show you what scanning is really all about. And if you don't stop him, oh God, help me. He's going to kill all of us. Scanner Cop 2. Vulcan's Revenge. I've waited a long time for this. I'm sure you have. From Image Organization. Also known as Vulcan's Revenge or Scanner's The Showdown. And that is from director Steve Barnett, who did Mind Warp in 1991, Mission of Justice in 1992, and Cop Files in 1995, a TV movie. Writers Mark Sevy, who did Ghoulies 4 in 1994, Arachnid in 2001, and Pterodactyl in 2005. Cinematographer Tom Jewett, who did The Cellar in 1988, Peacemaker in 1990, and Dead at 21 in 1994. Music, Richard Bowers, who worked on Tropical Heat in 1993, Man of Her Dreams in 1997, and Facing the Enemy in 2001. Production design, Terry L. Schatzel, who worked on Open Fire in 1994, Fat Beach in 1996, and One Tough Bastard. 1996. Set decorator Susanna Bernstein, who worked on Playboy Celebrity Centerfold Jessica Hahn in 1992, Playboy Celebrity Centerfold Diane Parkinson in 1993, and French Exit in 1995. Producers Pierre David, Noel A. Zanich, Renee Mallow, and Lawrence Goebel. Special effects John Carl Buchler, who also did Reanimator in 1985, Demonic Toys in 1992, and The Ginger Dead Man in 2005. Budget for million USD. Starring Daniel Quinn as Detective Samuel Stasiak, who also was in Impulse in 1990, American Cop in 1995, a TV movie, and Baywatch from 1989 to 1999, a TV series. He played four different characters. Patrick Kilpatrick as Carl Vulcan, who was also in The Cellar in 1988, Death Warren in 1990, and Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis in 1996, a TV movie. Christine Hodge as Carrie Goodart, who starred in Bates Motel in 1987, ATV movie, Cyborg 3, The Recycler in 1994, and Prince for a Day in 1995, ATV movie. Stephen Mendel as Detective Jim Mullins, who worked on The Vindicator in 1986, Stepfather 3 in 1992, a TV movie, and Heaven's Fire in 1999, another TV movie. Robert Forrester as Captain Jack Bitters, who worked on Jackie Brown in 1997, David Lynch's New Holland Drive in 2001, and Wild 7 in 2006. Brenda Swanson as Glory Avionis, who starred in Dangerous Love in 1988, Steel and Lace in 1991, and Indecent Behavior in 1993. Jerry Potter as Sheriff Jake, who starred in Rhinestone in 1984, Misery in 1990, and Wild Wild West in 1999. And last, but certainly not least, Kane Hodder as Kidnapper Number 1. You may know him from Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, in 1988, where he played Jason Voorhees. Pumpkinhead 2, Blood Wings in 1993, and Hatchet in 2006. Slick Nick? Sam Stasiak, the Scanner Cop, had hoped that he could resume a normal life. When other scanners in the LA area are being attacked, literally, left drained of life. Sam is forced back into action in a desperate attempt to stop a mad scanner named Vulcan, who is determined to become the most powerful and ruthless of his kind. But as Sam sets out to put an end to the ever-increasing carnage gripping the city, he also finds himself in a personal crisis after his long-estranged mother reappears and becomes the focus of Vulcan's growing rage. Awards! It won none! Sadly, but definitely deserves some. Boys, let's get physical. Physical, 
So this week's release is, of course, from Vinegar Syndrome, released April 26, 2022, not rated and runs 95 minutes. It is newly scanned and restored in 4K from a 35mm original negative. It is presented in 4K, of course, with high dynamic range and has both a 4K disc and a Blu-ray disc. And it also features a commentary track with director Steve Barnett, Outside the Law, The Scanner Cop Revolution Part 2, extended making of documentary featuring interviews with director Steve Barnett, producers Pierre David, actor Patrick Kilpatrick, actress Christine Hodge, actor Stephen Mendel, composer Richard Bauer, special effects artist Jeff Farley, makeup artist, Tom Irvin, special effects artist James Rowland, and screenwriter Simon Barrett. Original trailer, reversible cover artwork, and newly translated English. So back when this first was announced from Vinegar Syndrome, I was super excited. I was talking about the films for about a year up to that point, kind of hoping, wishing that one day we'd get just a disc release. Lo and behold, Vinegar Syndrome hits us out of nowhere with this awesome dual set in 4K of all fucking things presented with some HDR color, and it looks fantastic. And we get a making of documentary along with it, and that is fantastic. And we got a bunch of information from that documentary, which will come later in the show. But boys, you both have had the set for a while now. The last time we did part one was uh, season three, the last episode of that. Now we hear season four, last episode of this. What's your guys' has been experience with uh, the Vinegar Syndrome set? Let you kick it off, Nick. Oh, all right, sure thing. Um, I'd say this is... It's honestly probably the best looking like physical set of any box set of like Blu-rays or DVDs that I've got. Um, that's those fucking slip covers are so nice, dude. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and hell, so I may not have um, I mean, a setup for the 4K, but even just the regular Blu-ray version of it, the color reproduction and um, that anything's yeah, the, uh, an upgrade from the existing VHS that we had prior. <laughs> That is true. <laughs> uh, plus, this isn't like a thing that you watch a thousand times and then uh, it's it's you know tearing and you're gonna break or anything. Um, I'd say honestly, in the audio reproduction is probably some of my favorite as well. It sounds really yes. good. Like a lot of those VHS tapes don't do very well on the back end with like bass and the lower end kind of uh, sound reproduction. A lot of the time, at least I think so but this looks and sounds amazing uh and even just the physical thing just having it is nice any film collector would genuinely especially if you like cronenberg or anything related to him uh it's a good one to have uh and it's actually a pretty decent price it's what it's 60 bucks still i think for the uh the two-pack yeah and they also the release standard editions of both 4k discs since then so if you want to be in case you just want one yeah uh but the yeah uh, i mean the the special features and everything on it are fantastic uh we do have a lot of info from that uh that documentary but not too much because we don't want to read the whole thing off to you go buy it and watch it yourself and enjoy it it's very very good brody what was your experience with it uh yeah well i think any physical media uh junkie would cream their jeans over this release um it's thick i remember fucking opening the package and i was like all this it's got like that raised fucking and lettering and even like the actual scanner cop himself and it, i love the fact that they're able to throw back to the retro poster as well um, for the slip covers so you basically got a hard cover with your slip covers and then irrever- like reversible fucking um, artwork so th- yeah this i mean i can't really elaborate on it more than 
what you've already said, Nick. You did quite well there, sir. Um, but yes, like I said, if this is one that you really need to own, if you can get your hands on it still, I don't know if they've all sold out or what, but it's a I must. don't believe so. I think I checked it the other day and I think they were still available. Slick Nick, become yep. quick Nick and check. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it's a fucking fantastic release. I remember seeing it on Facebook when I woke up one morning and I sent it straight away to TJ and he like literally flipped out, didn't you, Mr. Bowser? So, I did. Um, it, it, and it was cool though because I've always wanted to see this film, but I never ever got the chance to watch it considering it, um, it, it elaborates more on the universe of Mr. Cronenberg's uh, original premise. So yeah, amazing uh, release by Vincent. They really went all out with this. Um, yeah, special features, fucking loaded, full of everything. Yeah, and that just, shows because I was wrong. It is sold out. <laughs> <laughs> Will that be why they yes. released the standard edition? Probably. Yeah. Um, it looks like there are some people selling their secondhand copies of it with slipcover, brand new. From What's what the I can see here. Um, huh. So oddly enough. From the 60 bucks, a decent amount, but the original price that I can see on Vincent's website was $80, and this one that I'm immediately seeing here, right here, is 89 oh. So the original price, 10 bucks more, but if you're looking for the $60 price that we paid, about 30 bucks more than that. <laughs> so the prices aren't astronomical yet on the second-hand market. If you're looking for that excellent slip-covered edition of uh, like the dual pack, either way, if you buy the standard editions, I... You'll still get all the excellent special features that I personally think Vinegar Syndrome excels in. I buy every month from Vinegar Syndrome's website. A lot from the partner labels, a couple releases from them here and there. This is definitely one of the ones that I got uh, as soon as it was announced. I just so excited that this exists and I'm so happy that this generation of people can enjoy and appreciate this film the way that I did when I was younger and stumbled, stumbled upon it in a video store. So I think it's exciting. And if you have the opportunity to pick it up, absolutely do it. So we said that we dug up a bunch of shit about it. Boys, take it away. So we have director Steve Barnett talking about getting the job for Scanner Cop 2. Uh, he says, I started out working for Roger Corman as a picture editor, did trailers, edited Death Stalker Part 2 and a couple of other shows for him. And he gave me a shot at directing. My friend Lansing Parker was a line producer for Pierre David and he was working on Martial Law 2. They had a scene with Cynthia Rothrock and the second unit, they hired me. Uh, Pierre liked my work, hired me to do Mission of Justice and he liked that. That was handy. So he hired me to do Scanner Cop 2. Steve, elaborates about the crew. So he goes on to say, Pierre's got a pretty good production team in his office. There was a gaffer named Mark Trembath, very talented gaffer, who recommended a friend of his, uh, Thomas Duet, to be the director of photography. My regular DP was in New York and was unavailable, and Tom was awesome. If you look at the film, he recognized the vampire ethos of it. Lots of shadows, lots of compositions of film noirish shapes. And we'd really stretch that frame. Did it an amazing job. Steve then goes on to talk about editor Pat Rand. Says, Pat Rand was my picture editor. He had been an editor at Roger Corman's before me, and we'd been in touch. And I'd heard he was available. I was so happy to get him. He's a terrific editor. He really shaped footage that would sometimes be problematic. Uh, sometimes we had a lot of technical issues in terms of our special effects on set. And he managed to make them all play. He brought a lot to the party, and the rest of the guys were pretty much Pierre's team. We have Steve talking about the one 
one, the only Mr. Daniel Quinn, goes on to say, I was visiting the set of the first Scanner Cop, um, and there's a sequence where Danny was in a chair scanning something. I couldn't tell you what really, but I remember he was so intense, and he had kind of demanded silence from the crew. You could say it was rude, but when he got done with the scene, he apologized, and I recognized how much it took it out, out of him as an actor. He had Sam Stasiak pretty much nailed right out of the gate. He had a very specific vision of who he was and what he was doing. In Scanner Cop 1, he was trying to find his way in the world. What is this power that he has? Why is he a part of this universe? And in Scanner Cop 2, he carried this gravitar and weight. Steve then goes on to talk about the character of Sam Stasiak. Says, even though Sam Stasiak is the hero, he's Van Helsing and everybody really wants to be Dracula. It did lend it to being more of a Vulcan story. Uh, And he has this incredible evil presence the entire time. Sam, just because he has to, and because of who his character is, has to be this rock holding everything in place. So we have Steve talking about Patrick Kilpatrick goes on to say, I don't recall casting Patrick. I think Pierre brought him in from working on Open Fire. He was this consummate Dracula to Danny's Van Helsing. The fact that Patrick took it to the level of intensity owes nothing to my direction. It was pretty much all Patrick himself. Patrick did a lot of improv. I had one set up. It was really late, and I said, Patrick, I got one place for the camera in the shot. There's no coverage. You got to do something for me. And he went, all right. So Patrick walked in and saw this crooked picture of Danny on the wall and straightened it. Then went on to the scene where he pulls the shotgun out of the closet. But just straightening the picture that was just Patrick all over, I gave him an incredible limitation of time and energy and he found something that just elevated it. So Steve goes on to talk about a particularly rough night of shooting that they had. Says there was one night, it was a rough night, We were shooting in a police station. We were shooting mostly nights on this movie, and at lunchtime, uh, we all got in line for food. Uh, I had an interview with some magazine, and then about an hour and a half later, uh, I began to feel lousy, and I'm doing a shot with Steve Mendel, who was Sam Stasiak's part. Steve had this great bit he used to do where he would hit a telephone, and then later on at the same camera angle, Sam comes out and asks him something. And I was watching this scene the other night, and I went, oh, yeah. We all got food poisoning. So I was in the bathroom, heaving into the toilet, and then the PA would knock on the door and say, "Uh, Steve, uh, they're ready for you. And I would come out, direct the shot, and then go back into the bathroom and then throw up some more. (laughs) Yeah, that would suck. Fuck that. Imagine directing on the shitter. Got your little fucking monitor there while you're on your lap. Uh, I think... I don't think I included it in the notes for Come to Daddy, but uh, at one point, um, Ant got injured. I, if I remember correctly, I read that Ant got injured, and so he was like at home, and they had to like stick a speaker onto the camera for him to yell like cut and direct from <laughs> at one point. So he was directing remotely. Get on the iPad. So we have uh, Steve talking about the pre-production with John Carl Buchler. Goes on to say, going into Scanner Cop 2, it was going to be an R-rated picture. Having been a Scanner's movie, especially. I think the intensity of the effects and what happened on screen really evolved in pre-production discussions with John Carl Buchler. I'd known John from his days down at the Roger Corman lot in Venice. We would go to his shop and talk about each death. Then we'd talk about the next death to which John would storyboard for me while I was there. He was so generous with his time and during the storyboarding process, a lot of what happened on screen would just kind of evolve. So we then have a bit with special effects director James Rowland says, when we worked on Scanner Cop 1 and 2, a lot of our problems were already ironed out. 
So all this was, okay, uh, we got all this time. Let's give them a real kick-ass project. Uh, so let's make this look really good. So anytime you see an actor whose face is bubbling up, um, I have to sculpt all of those skins. Uh, in the middle of stuff, you know, the director would say, you know, when these scanners are bubbling up, can we have like broken skin? And, and everything is already built. So what we did was is we kind of mixed what we had built into what we call out of kit. So when the face would start pulsating and they wanted broken skin, we would actually go in, cut pieces of the foam out and then take like gelatin, uh, like anything that we could get in there to make it look like an oozy wound. So when you're watching the guy in the alley getting all of his life force sucked out of him, we're adding and taking from the same object until we were left with a puppet. Be fucking cool. So we move on to Mr. Patrick Kilpatrick talking about working with director Steve Barnett. I like Steve a lot. He really appreciated what I was doing. I think I got the job mostly because I could bulge the veins out of my head. And I remember I used to pass out all of the time. Both Danny Quinn and I would pass out because we prepped for a take by doing this and the cast and crew just treated it like it was a part of our process. They would just step over us while we'd face plan into the concrete floor and they would just laugh and say, oh, he's just preparing. So this happened a lot. It was fun. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> the safety crew on that. Uh. <laughs> so Patrick then goes on to talk about his character a little bit. He says, I think it was very evident that it was like sucking the blood out of other people. So I tried to make Carl as seductive as possible. We worked so hard on that movie that there were times, and it's the only time in my career, that I actually stood up in front of the camera and just said, guys, there's nothing left. <laughs> Given it his all. So we have uh, Patrick talking about B-movies in general. He says, you know, B-movies are kind of like Shakespeare because you eat the scenery and you're going from a very delicate emotional life to huge emotional moments. I remember in one take where I was going through the ecstasy of getting the power from somebody and I had just killed and I began to weep, really to weep out of joy. Those things pretty much happen spontaneously. So we have actor Christine Hodge uh, speaking about shooting on certain locations. Uh, she says, I remember just being impressed with how they handled locations. Um, often when you're filming, uh, you know, something will happen at that retirement home. And when they cut to a close up of it, it's miles away. It's shot on a different day. But we shot at that retirement home. I loved how gritty everything was, but normalized. It wasn't like we were shooting in a gritty place. It just happened to be the laundromat or the motel. It all felt true to the world. Nothing was fabricated. It felt like we were just walking into that factory. We were walking into that motel. We were going to that glorious old folks home that had the, the feel of the shining. I love being in other worlds and worlds of fiction that feel real. So actor Steve Mendel talks about working with Robert Forster on the film and Forster's thoughts on acting. Robert Forster's playing our captain and I said to Robert one day, you know, you've had a long and successful career. You've been at this a long time and you made a decent living at it. He said, I'll tell you what, number one, I always show up and I do excellent work. Before you say what's excellent, it means I do the best job that I possibly can. Right there on that day at, at that time, I'm going to give it everything I've got. Don't sweat the small stuff. Everything's the small stuff. And I thought those were pretty 
cool. I thought those were pretty good words to live by. And finally, cap it off with a little bit of a trivia slash observation that I found. So, as it is currently the final film of the series, at least as of this recording, uh, I did see talks of a remake, but we'll see. Scanner Cop 2 is the only film in the series to feature a character from a previous film. Sam appears in both Scanner Cop movies, whereas every single other character that I was able to find only appears in one. Yes. Yeah, none of the other characters from Scanner Cop 1 are in 2, except for Sam. Uh, Cameron Vale wasn't in Scanners 2 or anything like that. None of the originals are in any others. Sam is the only one to appear in more than one Scanners movie. Yep, it's the franchise is Viet. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, boys, let's talk about it! <laughs> Favorite performance of the film! Nick, what do you got for us? I am going to have to go with Mr. Patrick as Carl Vulcan. Yay! I love this villain. (laughs) His performance is somehow like just over the top enough to have its own entertainment factor separate from being just menacing and scary while also being menacing and terrifying at the same time. Uh, it's because I think what he's trying because he has to be channeling, you know, because the whole thing, he is an escape mental patient and he's just becoming more and more deranged as the film goes on. The longer and longer he's not taking his ephemeral and everything, of course, and the more powerful that he's getting. It just you can feel him ramping everything up over time and he already starts off dialed to 11 from the beginning just the mouth movements (laughs) in every little thing when he's menacing the other scanners because it's almost like he's scaring them before he kills them like the way pennywise scares someone before he eats them like it i don't know it it feels different to the other scanners villains but that he still does belong in the scanners universe and he is very much still a part of it and i think it just works extremely well and i really really like how he brought everything to it so i can kind of see why you know he said, you know, for the first time in his career, there were points where he just like looked at the camera and was like, okay, I can't, I can't do any more than what I've already done here. Can, can we be, can, can that be the take? Um, and I think he did an extremely good job of it. Uh, TJ, what was yours? So, like you already said, Patrick did a phenomenal job. Quinn, fucking class act as always. Mm-hmm. Can't really expand much. Uh, Patrick, whenever he is a fantastic bad guy in this film, he really sells that Vulcan is a badass motherfucker coming to blow up some heads the same way that Ironside does in the first Scanners film. I think that the way that his facial expressions compared to other people in the series, I don't know, there's just something about his that just hit differently, you know? I will have to give her an honorable mention to the artist lady with the blowtorch she's pretty hot yeah glory <laughs> yeah glory i like her yeah, little she... scenes uh pretty decent looking and a uh, pretty good actress too yeah she did well there's the like supporting characters were all pretty good i think like i liked the captain and his partner everybody no weird fortune tellers in this one true <laughs> <laughs> oh i did i did like her character too she had like a weird kind of energy I... she brought to the first scanner cop yeah i think the casting choice for um the falcon was pretty fucking spot on beautifully done it and executed yeah i find what patrick has about him he's got this believable like serial killer persona about him uh and i especially in the way that his character is portrayed you could probably say by his presence and physicality in some scenes where he's really like into it uh when he scans or he's just sort of standing over people uh he's just he's just so fucking evil and cunning 
Yeah. He's got this cunning wit about him, and I love it. Especially as the film progresses and you see him start to get stronger, he starts to toy with his prey. It's just it's amazing. It's like he's having fun. Um, I like how he brings that to it as well. Uh, there's that one scene where he sucks the life force out of someone in the laneway, and you, and you see those tears that we mentioned about in the show notes fall from his face as he's mm. really getting right into it and it just showcasing those expressions uh, during that scene just says everything about his performance in this film. Um, yeah, and, and uh, lastly, it's, it's, it's just great to see a fucking villain like this rival Stasiak. Um, yes. Which yeah, for sure. Leads, leads up to Not to take anything away from villain. Lynch, though. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no, no, no he was just a different type of villain. Lynch he was like a more controlled scary yeah. like it organized that, type really yeah is that lynch or franklin that's uh, it's lynch, <laughs> it's lynch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um yeah that's yeah that that would be my favorite performance fucking eight so favorite set piece i will start this off uh so i can't decide whether that last bit where the final act takes place is the coolest or maybe mm. like the scanner office with the computer. I like the production design for both of those. I don't know why, but I think they're pretty fucking cool. And that final showdown set is pretty neat. I love how Vulcan runs around it and sees all these illusions of uh, Stasiak and just blows them up and shit. And you just, you play a lot within that set and it's really believable. I don't know. Uh, production design on this film, I think is just exquisite. Boys? Well, yeah, I was going to say the basement myself. And then I was like, nah. So I chose the alleyway. Oh. The alleyway, yeah. The first kill of the film. Well, the first life force kill of the film. Just, it, yeah, it was really hard. Um, I mean, yeah, I liked the production design just as much as you, Mr. Bowser, but it didn't really feel like there was some standout locations for me other than those two. Um, but I, like, I chose the alleyway because it just had a little bit of a different feel to the rest of the film yes. and the other locations. The mm. way that lighting flows through that scene is just great because we get to see full effect of the um, death scene. And uh, Patrick... Like his incredible acting skills as well. You actually get to see it all, which is great. Um, yeah, like I said, not to mention it's the it's the first grotesque kill slash body melt of mm. the film. He got so hit by really lightning. Sets the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. But uh, what about you, Slick Nick? Well, um, I do have to somewhat agree with you on that alleyway. Very dark, gritty, industrial feeling to it. Um, always love it. Always love to see it. Uh, kind of reminds me of some of the like alley scenes from um, what was it, King of New York that we did? The uh, yep, yeah. Um, the, those sort of like final uh, David Crusoe chase down scenes. Uh, it had that sort of same vibe to it. I really liked that. Um, I think I'm probably going to actually have to agree with uh, Christine Hodges pick for her location that old folks home with the very uh yeah. shining-esque vibes to it the long Wait. arching corridors do one better not shining-esque uh what's the ozploitation movie we did next Dead to kids Kim. next to kim oh. that was an yep. old folks home too right it was mm -hmm. it yeah. was absolutely that's right thank you because i was actually trying to remember the name of that movie the other day <laughs> <laughs> i could not think of it for some reason i even went to try to find it in our lists <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I really like the uh, the old folks home. Uh, I think it's been well established because uh, of the few times that I've picked like hospitals and things like that, wards whenever we've had them, um, asylums. I really like how those play. I really like how they're used often a lot of the time. Um, 
especially when they are used in a manner that's like normal. It's not, here's an old folks home, but it's run down and it's grimy and it's dark and it looks like an abandoned haunted house or something. I think it's a lot scarier when you have a hospital or retirement home asylum or something like that, but it's in operation and it's clinical and it looks like you could walk in there on a given Tuesday morning or something and you would expect to be fine, but you get blindsided by just all of the chaos and everything of like Patrick's character coming in, chasing down Stan's, uh, Sam's mom and all of that. And I just really like the way that that plays um and i think it just honestly looks like a really cool location the building um is just overall great i'm a little bit of an architecture nerd so i just love seeing like old stuff like that um but yeah no i would say i'm, I'm gonna have to go with that but also a special mention to that final factory that they fight in uh for the uh the the finale to the film as well Fuck yes mm. okay so favorite scene and or shot so i kind of already said how much i enjoy that final showdown in the basement the utility room whatever the hell it is at the end of the film i love the scenes of sean and vulcan going head to head when they're at both at max power just fucking unleashed super fucking cool for shots can't think of anything offhand. There's really not a lot of like big standout ones. It's kind of like last week. It's kind of like come to daddy. It's pretty standard cinematography. I would say is super standard here, and I think it's overshadowed by the incredible special effects by John Carl Buchler, which we'll talk about in the next bit. Mm. But boys, you have a favorite scene? I um yeah, I I actually chose your scene that you just mm-hmm. elaborated on the the whole illusions and prosthetics and body horror during that scene is just fucking awesome. Um, it's full on, man. It, 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 yeah, it is. Um, it's a fun little scene that leads up to the finale. But there was another scene. That, say, sorry, I didn't have a have a shot that really cut, stuck out to me. It was very basic um, filmmaking. But the other scene that I was going to choose was when Vulcan uh, scans that cop to shoot all the other cops. Yeah. Leads him out into the lane. Mm, yeah. And then it's like, get rid of the evidence. So the fucking cop runs him over. I was like, that's just so cool. Yeah. Favorite shot. Sadly, I haven't got one. What about you, Mr. Nick? Well, um, I don't really have a favorite shot either. Um, I agree with you guys. Does seem pretty standard cinematography wise. Not bad. Just nothing standout. It's just, it's how a movie is shot, basically. Um, I think for scene, um, one that I really liked that really didn't have to do with any of the death scenes was probably, uh, when Patrick broke into the the center uh, near the beginning um, to find uh, Catherine Hodge's character. And because she is also a scanner as well, her first instinct is to find out why he's there and tries to scan him and they get locked in um, because he's not at his full like capacity yet of his power and everything. So he can't instantly kill her or anything like that. But you can see what happens when a scanner tries to go up against him. That's not Sam. Uh, that doesn't have the same level of power as Sam. And you can see that even though he doesn't kill her, she doesn't get away easily um, or very well in the end, um, though she does escape with her life, uh, which is good. I actually do really like her character, and I'm glad they didn't just immediately kill her off because I was kind of afraid they were going to do that initially. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed that scene. And then probably a special mention to Vulcan's escape, uh, how it was all shot through the security camera and everything. Uh, I really liked that. Um, I guess if there was a favorite shot, that'd probably be it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, I really did like that sequence as well. I forgot about that. That's a fucking awesome scene. Just a close up of the screen being all static. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good call, Nick. I also, yeah. I guess now that you mentioned shots, the more I'm th- sitting here thinking about it, 
uh, that first reveal of Vulcan when he lifts his head. It's pretty fucking creepy. They definitely put uh, it on Yeah, him. that is true. Just it immediately, it's a good way. It establishes that, it immediately establishes that this guy's a fucking bad guy. Just the way he looks, the way he, he stares at the camera. It's almost like the, uh, like you referenced earlier with The Shining, it's almost like the Jack mm. Torrance stare. Ah, uh, yeah. He does kind of have that vibe to it. Tell me, what was the medication? Femoral. You're a scanner. Aren't you taking the medication? Not anymore. Okay, favorite effect and or death slamming screen door yeah <laughs> i i couldn't decide between that or glory and her boyfriend getting melted together yes that's both I, so cool i i couldn't pick one i was like i'm i'm not gonna be able to pick if one the between body, these two for the episode if the body didn't fall backwards when he looked at it and separated from the front half I would say uh, the yeah. body's fusing together. But the fact yeah, that they were like, what if you touched it and fell backwards and stayed? I was like, yes! <laughs> and all the skin is still just yes. stuck to it, but she falls back. I was, dude, I was like, ho, 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 ho. I will have to mention, though, the bitch in the uh, laundry room turns to goo. It j- <laughs> Oh yeah, she's she just the deep flights. <laughs> the flight. I, I will say my favorite part of that whole sequence, uh, even more so than her de- like deflating everything, uh, it, it just goes down to Patrick is when her, she's screaming why and everything, and he just does that side super long side mouth because <laughs> like, I, that fucking killed me, dude. I love that so much. I was like, I love this is great. <laughs> this is fantastic. I love this villain already. Yeah, I. I I'd have to agree with you there, Mr. Bowser. That gr- grilled cheese bitch in the fucking security <laughs> door is um, absolutely exquisite. And for her husband just to, out of the blue, see her melted ha- other half through the fucking door. He's not, he's not even distraught really about it when they see him in the next scene. He's sitting there having a fucking smoke like he's on Smoko with the cops. Yeah, boys, you're doing a good job. I'll have a fucking cigarette while you fucking pull my wife out of the security <laughs> door. Like, I get the like traumatic thing and he goes for the smoke, but like he really does just kind of look like he's like, yeah, he's well, like, smell will ever come out of that kitchen. No, <laughs> no, you have to torch that house. <laughs> it's, it's done. <laughs> There's no coming back when your significant other is melted into the screen door. <laughs> the worst part is, is if that house is still there with the market the way it is, that thing is like four hundred thousand fucking dollars. Still. <laughs> How cool is the effect though for Mr. Kane Hodder when his ear gets fucking burned off and then he pulls? Yeah, yeah. yeah, dude, I love the effects of all of the. Uh, it happened to like all. Them. It happened to like, all the kidnappers had like the little earpieces yeah. melt to them and everything. I really I like how Kane's actually, always in these JCB productions, just in the background. It's cool. And then the, he knocks kill. the dude's head off in Manhattan. <laughs> um, the kill of uh, the grilled cheese woman kind of reminds me of Kane Hodder's kill or death scene in um, Wishmaster, mm. where he like actually like goes through the glass and then he like breaks up into pieces. Yeah, I don't know. Just a little bit of a sidebar there. But- the grilled cheese woman is the next Marvel superhero. So. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Sony or produced by Sony. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you guys don't have anything else to elaborate on, thoughts on story. No. Well, well, little different than the first film, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I think because TJ, I mentioned it to you earlier today when we were in the chat. Um, so I said I, I said I liked the story for one. 
uh, better than this one, but the effects for this one way better than ones. Um, I I don't mind the story. I do like um, that they kind of just went with this one. They're like, we don't need to establish Sam anymore. Yeah. We have, you know, he is a scanner. He is a cop. He uses his scanning powers to be a better cop. Now, what if he has to go up against another scanner? And, you know, let's just let's just play that out. Let's just play the scenario. Whereas in the first one, it had a, a lot of establishing to do. Um, I do sort of like things that feel a bit more episodic or a bit um and and anthological <laughs> I, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so like just for a, a small example um, and something completely unrelated but uh, uh, the more like episodic early bits of the Mandalorian when it was just him going around and here's what it, here's his bounty for this week here's his bounty for this week here's his bounty for this week I like that oh you mean before the thing. dark times yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before <laughs> before everything you know picked up and started going overarching and stuff yes um, I liked those I don't mind overarching stories especially if they're good and they enthrall me and all of that but i kind of like just take the idea and let's just apply it to new things it's why i like star trek and stuff like that it's just what's going to happen to the crew this week what cool thing are they going to come across so like i kind of like the idea of we've established sam we have a scanner cop let's make movies where the the scanner cop just fights villains and And i like that idea and they call him the scanner cop yes (laughs) (laughs) every time vulcan just i'm after you scanner cop i'm like oh he said the thing he said he said the name of the movie He did it. Uh, but yeah, I do still kind of, I don't know. Um, I enjoy the episodic nature of this one, that sort of feel to it. But I do think that the story in one was just done a little bit better. Um, and I would be excited to see if they could make a Scanner Cop 3, just a new villain, new city he moves or something, just new scenarios for Sam to be in, things like that. I guess we couldn't get Sam anymore if, if Daniel is gone, unfortunately. But that premise, I'd like to see it continued, something like that, maybe with the new story. But that was pretty much my sort of thoughts on the story of it. I really like the episodic nature of it. But I think in the end, one's just squeezes it out for me. I, I just think it just gets it. Ready? Uh, yeah. Um. I do like the premise as well. Um, I like, yeah, I like how Stasiak pretty much has met his match, like I mentioned earlier, and he's obviously now using his powers for the greater good. Uh, where in the first one, he was sort of coming to terms with what um, he was and how to use them. Yeah, you know, this film is definitely a typical good guy versus bad guy film, but when you have, I guess you could say, this awesome world created for these unique characters, it just feels so much more than that. Uh, it's very basic storytelling, but it definitely works. Um, I mean, it's an entertaining and fun film to see unfold. I only wish we had got more films like Nick was saying. Um, mm-hmm. just, yeah, reboot or uh, sequel, whatever. Fucking even a TV series. I would love to see a TV series on fucking Scanner Cop. That's what I'm saying. Like episodes, just episodic. What's he going to fight this week? So I'm like, I think it would work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so much content and premise to this, well, yeah, content to this premise that you, we can elaborate a heap on about. Like, it's just a never-ending thing. And, yeah, and we could have Lorenzo Lamas play uh, <laughs> the cop. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fucking cool. Uh, yeah, mate, like, like I said, I fucking love this film. I enjoy it. Um, it's great. Good fun. What about you, Mr. Bowser? Well, I actually see a lot of parallels between this film and the original Scanners film. I think that this movie plays it safe in one way and then also kind of goes off the rails in another. Uh, 
we already kind of said that it doesn't focus on Quinn as much as it does the last film. He kind of balances between Vulcan and Quinn because he's already established. He's the scanner cop and his actions directly influenced and motivated Vulcan to go on this reign of terror. Uh, it's definitely more brutal than the first film. I think mm-hmm. Vulcan's a lot more ruthless than Lynch's character was. The way he approaches things and literally just harvests people for their energy, absolutely brutal. It's almost like the uh, the culling in Stargate Atlantis, and it just kind of sucks people for their energy. But yeah, I absolutely dig this movie. I think it is a very cool way to end this series. I love how this film ends the same way the original Scanners ends, with one big fucking battle between the two main characters of the film. And it ends with a head explosion and blood and gore. It's It's fucking rad. Daniel Quinn, fantastic actor, and his talent will live on through these films. And I'm just happy that the Scanner Cop films exist, and I'll kind of transition into impact and takeaways now, is the fact that a David Cronenberg film like Scanners got a spinoff in the first place. Absolutely cool. Now for that spinoff to get a sequel, even fucking cooler. We've already mentioned that this film in some forms was marketed as Scanners The Showdown, uh, so not even directly correlated to Scanner Cop 1, uh, even Scanners 4 in some places listed. It's strange. There's a whole bunch of different stuff, so I don't know how I'm going to list this when we actually do it. Uh, I think I saw while doing my research that in Canada, it got released as both at the same time. And there's also one Vulcan's Vengeance, or Vengeance of Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that was it. It got released to Scanners the Showdown and Vengeance of Vulcan in Canada. But honestly, it ain't gonna leave much of an impact other than in our little hearts. But takeaways, it's the fucking forgotten gem of the 90s, especially of Canucks exploitation. More people need to see these films. More people need to appreciate these films. And with companies like Vinegar Syndrome putting the time and effort and attention into these types of, of uh, works, it. Go out there and buy that shit. This, now's the time to go and watch these films and appreciate them. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And there's going to be a day that you wish you had bought this fucking fantastic film to suss out. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said before, I just love how there is so much potential with the, uh, the well, obviously, to, to get these sequels from a David Cronenberg um, premise to not only like – leave us wanting more uh it's it's just i just still think there's so much opportunity to talk about with this um you know the tone and themes of this universe in a tv series like really lace it out as a story with other scanners um who knows maybe scanners in other countries and see what effect that has on society or it's just you know it's just a thought it's just these things Mm -hmm. that i keep taking away with me after i watch it and I mean, like I said, there's so much you can do with this franchise. However, I do praise, uh, these films for, uh, helping expand on a fantastic premise created by the man himself. So yeah, I, th- I yeah, I, I can't really say much more about this film other than the fact that it's amazing, fantastic. Definitely go and give it a fucking sus if you have not seen it, but you slick Nick. For sure. Um, it definitely feels like a, fun movie um 
I really do feel like, you know, with the emphasis and everything, uh, we've said this for a few films before that whole, it doesn't take itself too seriously. I think this one takes itself seriously just enough that if you liked the earlier films, it plays into the rest of Scanners very well. Um, if you like the first one, if you like the second, these are not bad for spinoffs. They're really not. They're, it's a decent premise and it's a really fun movie to watch, especially this one. If you're looking to just jump in, because technically you don't need to see the first one to watch this movie you could probably you could theoretically get scanner cop 2 watch it and enjoy it thoroughly without having watched yes. any other scanners film but if you have it just gives you extra little layers uh like when they talk about the original thing when you know they're like oh and 15 years ago in toronto when all of this started happening and they start talking about cameron vale's story from the first scanners and all of that it just adds a little bit more to it that i think fans of cronenberg and the scanner series would enjoy but that anybody can really watch this and appreciate it um and yeah like brody said it just leaves you kind of wanting more if you really enjoy it it just kind of bums you out a little bit to be like damn it i wish there was more of this which there was more to this property. Um, and I would say it also makes me a little bit interested to see if there's any other spinoffs in larger franchises that maybe have been overlooked that say if they were to get a Vincent or Synapse or Arrow or whatever release, um, like a proper one, that if people could give it a second shot, if it might work out better now than it did when it came out. And I'm just kind of interested to see if there's any that I have missed that I went, eh, well, at that point, you know, there are nine movies in and that's just a cash grab. But it turns out, shit, it's actually just, it's just good. Like, it's just a good, fun movie to en enjoy. Um, like the Scanner Cop series, because until TJ had mentioned it, I had never heard of the Scanner Cop series at all. Of course, I knew Scanners. It's the movie where the guy's head blows up. Everyone knows Scanners, you know? Uh, little did I know, it's also the movie with a billion shotgun kills. <laughs> so, there's a shotgun uh, in here. There is a shotgun kill in here. Uh, and then there's an attempted one, and the sheriff runs out of ammo and then falls over. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it just, it's really interesting to see stuff like this that's attached to a larger property that maybe is a bit overlooked or underappreciated because it's attached to a big property and people think it's just a cash grab when it's actually a decent film and just a fun time. But yeah, that's pretty much what I kind of ended up taking away from the whole thing. Excellent. So boys, let's rate this bad boy. This week's rating is crazy evil bad guys with brain busting powers out of five. I'll start things off with a four. Point two, Slick Nick. Oh, uh, 3.8. Brody? Yeah, I'll have to agree with you, Nick. 3.8. And that is an LCE score of 3.9 out of five crazy evil bad guys with brain-busting powers for Scanner Cop 2, Vulcan's Revenge, or The Showdown. Whatever you want to fucking call it. So that's it for this season of Lights, Camera, Exploitation. It's been a fucking doozy! All the films we covered this season have been absolutely fun as hell to talk about, and it has been so awesome seeing you guys respond and get us up on the charts across the world. Much appreciated for all of that support and love from all of yins out there that's what motivates us to keep doing this and bring you another season stay tuned for some possible bonus content been talking to the boys we mentioned a couple episodes ago a secondary series running within this uh rss feed you never know stay tuned for more stuff stay tuned for the comic book brody and i are working on that's about it keep track at projectlouder.net for any updates on the show this has been the pod boss 
See you guys next season. All our fans and listeners out there, I thank you very much for listening to our content. Um, it definitely makes my dick hard seeing us go up in the charts. Uh, so, yeah, it puts a little bit of a spring in my step every day. So thank you kindly to those and uh, look forward to next season. So this is your DKB signing out and I'll catch you motherfucking lickers next season. Genuinely appreciative of every single one of you who has listened to this from all over the world. Uh, we love you very much. Thank you for just supporting us and, uh, and doing this. And we hope to keep doing it for as long as we can. Uh, so with that, Slick Nick signing off. See y'all next season. Hit the music! Steve talking about Mr. Patrick Fitzpatrick. Fuck, I hope I said that right. Kirkpatrick. Yeah, it's right. Patrick Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick.
five days. I, I found out for this that I? he ran for the uh, governor of California like last year. <laughs> I fucking I did. That. Yeah. He was scanning his way to the top. Him and Arnold, <laughs> him and Arnold had an arm wrestling contest. Who can run? <laughs> I don't think Arnold wants to do it anymore. I think I, he's done. I don't blame him. Video player too. There's a store near you, sweetheart. Movies tonight on video. Well, they're helpful and friendly with films for the the, the, the whole family. Movies tonight on video. Movies tonight on video. Hey everyone, this is your podcasting god king, TJ Bowser here. I just wanted to take a break from my busy schedule of pud whacking to inform you of something I'm very passionate about and I think you should be aware of. Congenital hemorrhoidal ass disease, or CHAD for short, is a rare disease that affects one in 37,000 cellar-dwelling men. CHAD causes a multitude of issues including, but not limited to, hair loss, distended abdomen, low testosterone, penile atrophy, lack of logic, and bad taste in film. If you're experiencing any or all of these symptoms, please consult your local PCP immediately. CHAD is an angry, rough little disease, and it must be stopped before it takes the best of us out. Now that you know about CHAD, you can help us raise awareness. First, tell a friend about this terrible disease and help spread the word. Also visit www.pleasestopchad.com to find out more and how to donate to this cause and stop CHAD's reign of terror on us all.